0: Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for this wonderful time of worship. We thank you, Father, for reminding us that your arms are open to us to welcome us home, that we only have a home in you. There is no other place to abide where there's peace, there's security, where there's provision, except as you have designed it from the first, to abide, to live in you through Christ Jesus. But we, Father, we thank you that you have given to your church, to your family, to your home, instructions, the word of God that's intended to reveal to us who you are, intended to reveal to us what you've done for us and what you have called us to do. There's no other place that we can look for that, Father. This book you have given to us to reveal these things to us. And Father, forgive us when we look at other places. But we come today to set our attention on Your Word and to receive from You that Word that You want to speak to us. Because You are a God who speaks. You speak through the Spirit. You speak through the spoken Word of those that are anointed to do that. And You speak through Your written Word to us. And so we ask You to speak to us what each one of us needs to hear. But Father, I pray that as we hear these words today that we would hear them in the spirit of grace in which you've spoken them, that you are not a God who is condemning us or judging us, but that you are a God who is our Father, and you are challenging us to grow and to allow you to work within our hearts. And so, Father, help us to have ears to hear what you're saying to us, not what we might want to hear, or certainly not what the enemy wants us to hear this morning. And so for that we give you thanks in Jesus' name. I ask you for the grace to speak what you've put in my heart and not anything that I would want to share on my own. And for that I thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This is a message I don't want to give. That's a good start, isn't it? And the reason I don't want to give it is I don't want to hear it. That's got you all excited, doesn't it? And I just want you to know, this is something God's dealing with me about. And if God's dealing with me about it, I'm going to deal with you about it because it makes me feel better. No. (laughs) That's what we often do. Because if God's dealing with me about it, I know there are people God is dealing with this about also. But to get there, you you cannot hear what we're going to talk about is a bunch of rules. Do this. Don't do this. You're in trouble if you do this. You're in trouble if you don't do that. We need to hear... What God's Spirit is saying to us, because Pastor Ray quoted so well this morning, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But the liberty is not libertarianism; it's not just to do what I want to do. It's a freedom in God, so that it enables us to do what He's called us to do. So, with that background, let's look quickly where we started last time, which was in Mark, in in uh, in uh, Proverbs chapter four, verse twenty-three. This is a scripture I've been meditating on and the few, two verses that go before it. And this has kind of in, in, in inspired this message, which we've done before and many other people have done it, entitled God's Garden. This is the second part of God's Garden. And the, in the, 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 uh, this is actually is uh, Solomon wrote to his son. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring or flow the issues... Of life. this is not just Solomon speaking to his son. This is God speaking to his children. This is God, our Father, speaking this to me and to you today. He's saying, "Keep." That means guard, protect your heart with all diligence. Now, if you live in an area where, uh, when we the house we moved into, we moved in there, there were no locks on the windows. I don't think, that's kind of weird, until I found out. Ours is a relatively safe neighborhood. They did some construction. Uh, We we did the roads in our community a few summers ago and got talking to some of the policemen. and They said, we like being in this area because we're very seldom called to be here. But we moved there 26 years ago. It's changed. There's still signs of break-in, so I put locks on my windows. Um, I put locks on my doors, and I make sure they're locked when I go to bed, and some of you live in communities, and maybe not in even dangerous communities, where we have alarm systems that we put. An alarm system is is to protect us, to guard our home with all diligence, why? Because we treasure what's in the home. We treasure our children, our family, our dogs, our pets. We treasure valuables that we may have because just the fact that if you ever, ever come home and found out that someone broke into your house, you feel like you've been violated. It's a sacred space that's been violated. So there's something about our home that we want to guard and protect because it's so valuable. And yet we live our life day in and day out Totally oblivious in most cases to the significance of our heart that's in us. And I had somebody ask me last time, well, what do you mean by the heart? Well, I certainly don't mean the pump that's moving blood around in you. Oh, you need to guard that too by being careful of what you eat and by your exercise. But that's not what I'm talking about. And it's kind of a combination of your spirit and your soul. Put it this way, it's one of the things you know it when you're talking when when you when you when something's going off in your heart, you know it. Things are right in your heart. You know it. So it's kind of a calm... Don't try to analyze it too much. You know what it is. It's kind of like the Supreme Court judge when he was trying to define years ago uh, what obscenity was. He says, I can't define it for you, but I can sure tell you when I've seen it. All right? I can't define garbage, but I can tell you when I've smelled it. So your heart's kind of like that. It's the center of who you are. And with all diligence, not with this casual diligence on Sunday morning when you're getting ready to come to church, with all the diligence you can put. So there's something about our heart that God is warning us, guard it above everything else in your life. Guard your heart. And now he tells us why. Because out of it, out of your heart, spring like a spring or flow the issues of life. What are the issues? The word issue means the forces of life. And the basic forces of life in the Bible is, our, is love and faith and hope and, and, and all the fruit of the Spirit. But faith flows out of the heart. How many times did Jesus say things like over in, um, in Mark... Uh, 11.23, he said, If you believe in your heart, if you, if, you, if you do not doubt in your heart, but you believe that what you said will come to pass, you shall have it. Faith comes out of the heart. So we're, we're to guard our heart when it comes to faith. If I'm believing for something, you have to guard your heart that you don't let unbelief in your heart. And, and see, out of our heart flows love. Out of our heart, all the things that God wants to do to bless you have to flow out of your heart to be effective. To be effective. So there's a reason why God is telling us to guard our heart. It is his, we're going to see it in a minute. It's the garden out of which God through which God works his provision in your life, his blessings in your life, his blessings in your relationships, his blessings in your relationship with him, his purposes for your life flow out of your heart. Ephesians. Three seventeen, then says that talks about that that um, for Christ, that the prayer of Paul prayed here was that God would strengthen us with His Spirit. You pray, me pray this many times in our inner man, so that Christ might what dwell where in our hearts. So God's plan is for Christ to live in your heart that you being rooted and grounded in love, and then he's going to go on, we're not going to show it, but he goes on to say, so that we may be filled up with all of the fullness of God. That fullness in you flows out of your heart. So it's critical what happens in our heart, because out of it flow all the issues, all the forces of life. God has designed our heart. Last week, the last time, not last week, the last time we talked about this several weeks ago, it was God's garden, but the subtitle was the soil. And as we're going to go through in a minute, the, the parable of the sower, the parable of the sower teaches us that the, that the soil represents our heart. So the condition of our heart determines what the seed can do in our heart. And we looked last time at how God wants to sow seed into our heart and the Satan wants to steal that seed that God's sowing into our hearts. And then we saw that Satan wants to do that by sowing his own seed into our heart. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the seed so that we're more aware of the seed that's being sown, that we're allowing to be sown into our heart. But to do that we have to remember this. God designed physical soil, dirt the dirt that you get in your fingernails when you're digging around in, your, in the springtime. Dirt, God designed dirt, plain old, grubby dirt, has an anointing upon it that goes way back to the garden. And the anointing upon it is this, whatever seed you put in it, in that soil is what is necessary for that seed to germinate and then to grow and then to produce its fruit provided that it's given the water and the sunlight in which to do it so that soil god designed physical soil so that it provides everything that's needed for the seed to germinate and for the seed to take root and for the seed to grow and for the seed to produce its fruit the second part of that is because god designed soil is no respecter of seeds soil is no respecter of seeds. Whatever seeds you plant in it, it will grow it. Whether you intended it to grow it or not, or whether you understood this principle or not. We have some flower pots that my wife in this springtime will go buy some flowers to hang out around our, our deck in the back. And in... Um, and we take care of them but by the time we get into the fall they're just kind of there and you know they're beginning to dry up and and we've had some cold weather at night and then I notice because we stopped taking care of them other little things start growing in them you know little seedlings start coming up little seedlings of grass and some weeds I didn't put them there I didn't go out at the end of summer and say, you know what, I think we ought to grow some weeds in there. So I'm going to go to the store and buy some weed seeds and I'm going to put them in there because the only things that will grow in there is what I put in there. No, soil is designed by God so whatever gets planted there will grow. Whatever gets planted there, not only will whatever gets planted there will grow, you don't have to understand how. There's a parable that Jesus taught about The the farmer sows the seed and goes to bed at night and gets up in the morning and he doesn't go out and dig it up again and he doesn't know how it works, he just knows if I put the seed in the ground, I water it and it gets sunshine, it's going to produce. I don't need to understand the principle, I just need to know my role in the principle. So I think sometimes we believe that if I I don't really understand something, it's not going to happen. And here's the whole point of this series. There are things getting sown into your heart every day that you're not aware of. That are producing already in your life fruit that you're only partially aware of. And there's seed being planted today that's intended to produce fruit in your life tomorrow and over the... And, and, it's plan, it, it's, and some of it is intended to bless your life and some of it is intended to destroy your life it seems to me we ought to be aware of what's going on. If I'm, if I'm a, smart enough to be aware of who I'm letting in my house and what I'm letting in my house, because it's where I live, I ought to be even more diligent and more wiser to be aware of what's getting in my heart. And whether it's... Because what I allow in my heart determines what fruit will be produced in my life because out of it flow all the issues of life, good and bad. So that's what we're looking at today. So with that as a background, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is in another account of the parable of the sower. Last time we read Matthew chapter 13, but this has a verse in it that, that I want to focus on. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read down through the whole thing, just for the media people. I'm going to pick up when I get there to, uh, to, to verse 10. I'm in Matthew, that's not going to work. And this is a story Jesus told. There are several accounts of it. In fact, actually three in the Gospels. Each one of the primary Gospels has one. And, and Jesus is teaching this principle... And he says, he says, a farmer went out and he's using something that they could all relate to because they were an agrarian society. They were, they understood farming. They understood seed. They understood the importance of soil. And he's trying to teach them a spiritual principle, which is what God wants to teach us today. And he just tells them this simple story. And he says, a a, a sower goes out and he sows the seed. And the way they did it then is they just spread it and they had it in a garment and they just spread it around like this. And so some of it, he said, some of it fell on the road. And in this account, the birds of the air came and they just snatched it up and ate it so it never got in the soil. Some of it fell beside the, the road and it fell on the shoulder of the road where there's some dirt, but there's no depth in the dirt. So it, it took root... But the roots didn't go down, they went out like this, so it, it grew something quickly, but because it didn't have roots, when the sun came up and the harshness of the day came up, it withered up, and it, it dried up, because he said it had no root in, it, in itself. It, had no, it wasn't rooted in the right place. And then the one we're going to talk about today, we'll go down, what we're going to talk about today, he said, this was seed that was sown on soil where there was depth to the soil, but there were other things in the soil. There were, there were clods in there where the soil hadn't been broken up. But there were, there were other things began to grow in there. Thorns and thistles, weeds began to grow in there. And when the, the seed did begin to come up, it began to produce the intended, uh, the intended plant. But, it, but when it started to produce fruit, the other, nutri- other things that were growing in there took all the nutrients away so it did not produce healthy fruit. My mother was a horticulturist. She not only grew all kinds of plants, she knew the Latin names for them and how to she, you know, I did not inherit that ability from her but she would take she would ta- teach me uh, she would come to our house uh, when we lived outside of Boston when I was a lawyer, and, and it, because of the trees around it we couldn 't plant tomato plants in a garden because there was not enough sunlight, so I got smart I planted in this big. Uh, basket that I would move around when the sun would move and my mother came to visit us one time and she goes out there and she starts breaking branches off the thing and what in the world are you doing she says these are called suckers I said a sucker that's my tomato plant she said yeah but there's something growing out of that stalk that is not intended by the seed to produce tomatoes But it produces a little flower, but some of the life, some of the energy, some of the nutrients that need to be used to produce the beautiful ripe tomatoes are being sucked away from it to produce these little flowers that do not have any value to you. So you break them off, or you prune it. So weeds, because my mother would grow these beautiful flowers, and my job was to go out and pull weeds. I said, look, let them all grow up together, you know, and we'll just appreciate the flowers and we'll pay attention to the other. She says, you don't understand, those weeds are competing for the nitrogen, the oxygen, they're competing for the good nutrients that are in the soil, they're trying to take it away and choke off the flowers and choke off the tomatoes, choke off the fruit that was intended to be produced by that seed and that's the parable. And then Jesus said, "But there's some of it that fell on good soil where there were no cl- there were clods, there was no hardness, there was depth to the soil, and that produced a good crop, 30, 60, and 100-fold." And then Jesus began to teach them what the parable means. Verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with him, the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things are in parables. In other words, they're just going to hear a nice story and go home, like so many people in church. Well, that was a good message. (laughs) I don't remember what it was, but I, I, I felt good when I listened to it. So that, verse 12, Seeing, they may see, but not perceive. Hearing, they may hear and not understand. So apparently it's possible to see a spiritual truth, but not really grasp it. It's possible to hear a spiritual truth and not understand it, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. Now in Matthew's account, Jesus goes on to explain why that happens, because they've chosen to harden their hearts so that they wouldn't really hear it. So they'd hear the words but it wouldn't penetrate their heart because if it penetrates their heart they're going to be forced to make a decision on what to do about it. Either I'm going to do what it says and be blessed or I'm going to refuse what it says and feel convicted but I don't want to be uncomfortable either way so I just won't hear it. I won't let it get to my heart. I'll hear the words, say God bless you, amen, that's a great message. Praise God, Pastor John. Keep on preaching the word but I don't let it into my heart because if it gets in there It's going to produce something and make me change something I don't want to change. Verse 13. And he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Jesus is saying, this parable is key to understanding everything else I'm teaching. Why? Because it has to do with receiving God's word into our hearts so that it can produce the fruit. And all the other parables and all the other lessons were God speaking into their hearts to produce fruit. And He said, if you don't understand this process, you won't know how to cooperate with it so God's words will get in your heart and produce His fruit in your heart and therefore in your life. So this is the so important to understand this and then to let it affect us and to impact us. Verse 14 He says, The sower... Sows the word. Now, in Matthew's account, he doesn't tell us what the seed is. But in Mark's account, he tells us the seed. In Matthew's account, he tells us that the sower's God. In Mark's account, he tells us that the seed God sows is his word. That book sitting in your lap or on your tablet or phone or whatever it is. This is why we have to take so seriously God's word is seed he wants to sow into your heart to produce the fruit that you've been trying to produce by your own effort. Most of us have been around long enough to know what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. And we're trying to do it in our own strength. And God's saying, wake up, you can't. I've designed a process by which I will produce it in you. Satan knows this. We're the ones that are either ignorant or hard-hearted and just don't want to do it. So what the sower sows, what God sows, the seeds that God sow is His Word. So we're going to take a look a little bit at what The difference between His words and your words and my words. The difference between His words in here and the words on any other book of any other words that have ever been written by anybody, no matter how smart they are or how clever they are or how poetic they are. And we could spend weeks on this. But there are just a few things I want to look at. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to look at what God says about His Word. What God wants us to know. Hebrews 11 Verse 3, because verse chapter, 11, chapter 11 is all about faith, and he's using this as an example here. You he start out by faith, say, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not things. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. That tells me why science will never find out where the Big Bang came from. They can theorize newts, they can theorize cosmic explosions, they can theorize anything you want. But God has said, who not only was there, but caused it, God has said the only way you can understand the origins of the universe is by faith, not by your understanding. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by what? The Word of God. God just said, I've been reading a book on the holiness of God, and it starts out talking about St. Augustine's concept of, of creation, how God spoke words into nothing. And, and this book spends a little time meditating. How do you conceive of nothing? You can't. Because whatever you conceive of as nothing is something. I mean, God's so beyond us that he's created something out of something we can't begin to imagine nothing and he tries to get it across to us by saying the words were framed by the word of god and and how detailed and how 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 explicit were those words god simply said let there be the big bang wasn't god screaming but he whispers and his voice is like the sound of many rushing waters the ab- God is absolute authority. He doesn't have authority. He is. It comes from Him. Romans thirteen. All authority comes from God. He is ab nothing. Lafayette Scale said this one time, and it shook me. God said, "He said everything." that God's created, instantly obeys His voice, except man. We're going to look at that. The worlds were framed by the word, and that Greek word there is rhema, which means the spoken or expressed word of God. The other primary Greek word for, for word is logos, which means a concept or the expression of a concept of a, or an ideal, but this means a word spoken to do something. So, and this is how he's trying to get us to understand it, so the things which are seen, this natural universe, which our scientists detect with lasers and microscopes and, and super uh, 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 telescopes, those things that are seen were not made out of things which are visible. So they didn't evolve from something that was visible, something came from nothing. In other words, when God framed the universe, He didn't go to Home Depot or to, or to Lowe's or some other, He didn't get materials that we have to do that. Oh boy, I've got, I got to go, we've got to move on, we're going to get stuck here. I'm telling you, we could spend weeks on this. Isaiah 55, verse 10. We're talking God's Word. This is what God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, preferably rain, and does not return there, but waters the earth and brings forth bud... In other words, God sends rain to produce something. He sends the rain down and the snow, I guess... It says, we're not return back to him, but it waters the earth to bring forth and bud and to give seed to the sower and to bread to the eater. So we understand that process. Verse 11. So, or in the same way, my word that goes forth from my mouth shall not return to me void. That means empty. But it shall accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Every word of God contains within it the creative power to accomplish what the words say. This is the difference between God's words and your words and my words. God spoke this to me years ago. He said, son, my words are different than your words. He, I said, well, yeah, you tell the truth all the time. And I don't. he said, no, 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 no. He says, your words predict something. So when you say you're going to do something, in, with all good intentions, with all, you're, pre- you're predicting that you're going to do it. When I speak a word, the words themselves cause it to happen. God's not looking at something saying, you know what, I'm going to do that. No, the fact that he says it makes it happen. The power to produce what God's word says is in the words themselves. Well, then how come the promises God's made to me are not showing up in my life? Because the words are seeds that have to be sown, planted in something before they can produce what the power is in them to do it. Just think of a seed. A seed has in it. The seed of, I don't know, let's say a tomato. That's not the best example, but it's... Everything necessary to produce that beautiful tomato, or everything necessary to produce that beautiful rose or some flower, everything necessary is already in that seed. That's the point of this parable. It was the same seed that fell on the road, the same seed that fell on the shoulder of the road, the same seed that fell in this thorny ground, and the same seed that... It was the same seed It had the potential, the power, the life in it to produce the same thing. The difference was the soil it was sown in. So every time we come here and the words preached, every time you open your Bible, there is a potential for that Word to produce in your life everything that's said in it. Everything. And the only thing that's holding God's Word back from producing everything He wants it to produce in your life and my life is the condition of the soil and what we put in there and what we allow in there. Let's go to Hebrews 1. We're still talking about His Word. So we saw in Hebrews 11 that by faith we understand that the worlds were created, they were framed by the Word of God. But look at this. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, he's talking about God's expressing Himself through the prophets, has in these last days spoken or revealed Himself through His Son whom He has appointed heir over all things, through whom He also made the worlds. Jesus is referred to as the Word of God. The Word became flesh. Who? The Word being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. Two wonderful teachings there. And the Word upholding all... God's upholding all things that He created thousands of years ago, they're still being upheld by the word of His power. Isn't it interesting? It doesn't say by the power of His word. It says, by the word of His power, by the spoken expression of His word, the power that created the universe thousands of years ago is still creating. It's still not just holding together. The scientists tell us the world is expanding faster than the speed of light. And that's because of the word is still creating. The word of God is still upholding all things. It's still working. And we wonder whether that word will work in me with my problems. That's the seed that God is trying to sow in our hearts. So let's look at what happens here. Well, let's take a couple examples of this seed in Christ. See, Christ walked in this. So in Matthew 8, we're not going to turn there. In Matthew 8, you have this wonderful uh, I- interchange between a centurion, a Roman officer, who comes to Jesus on behalf of, of his servant who's at home suffering from the palsy. And, and he says to him, you, know, you know, my servant's suffering at home of the palsy. Would you, you know, before he can tell him what he wants to do, Jesus, I'll come in healing. And healing. And the centurion says, No, no, no. Basically, this is my paraphrase. He says, No, no, that's not what I was going to ask you. Because I'm not worthy for you to come into my home. You don't need to. Just say a word and my servant will be healed. And then he goes on to explain why he understands that. Because he said, I understand that you're somebody under authority and you're somebody in authority. This is why that course on spiritual authority is so important. Because it teaches us what God's authority is. Because most of the reason God's word doesn't work on our lips is because we're not really under the authority of that word. Because the the Roman officer says, I also am a man under authority. The word also means just like you, Jesus, are under authority. I'm under authority. And I can recognize you're under authority because I'm somebody also under authority. And I have soldiers that are under me. And the evidence that I have authority over their soldiers is simply this. I say "I say a word, go, and they go. I say a word, come, and they come. I say to my servant, do this, and they do it. The evidence of our obedience to the Word is whether we do it or not. It's that simple. So the centurions, because I understand that, I understand all you've got to do is say something, and it will happen. Because I recognize the authority of your words. Those words on Jesus' lips caused a man with a withered hand. Jesus said, Jesus said Stretch out your hand. And by acting on that word, the power to make that hand whole was in the word stretch out. And when he did what the word said, the power to do that was released in his hands. And perhaps the greatest example is in Matthew 14, well, one of them. Matthew 14, verse 28. This is the story. Peter, they're they're on the water. Jesus told them to go to the other side. They're in a boat. And a storm comes up and and they're struggling and Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Now in this account, Jesus says to them, uh, they're they're afraid of a ghost and he said, no, it's I. And and Peter says to him, if it's you, look at Peter says, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. Verse 29. And Jesus just says one word come and Peter like the man with the withered hand acted on the authority of the word come and look what he did he walked on the water to go to Jesus I realized one day he's not walking on water you can't walk on water he's walking on the word come This is the authority of God's Word. Other places, they were in a storm going to the other side. And they're all panicked. But Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And he went to sleep in the back of the boat because he knew what he said was going to happen. And a storm comes up and the storm's telling them they're not going to make it to the other side. But Jesus had just said, go to the other side. So they're so moved by what they're experiencing and not by what Jesus said, they wake Him up and accuse Him of not caring. And Jesus goes up and what did He do? He simply said, Peace, be still. And the storm, the wind, the waves instantly obeyed the voice of the One that created them to begin with. Because they've always been under His authority because He created them and he turned and rebuked their unbelief. And this is how God wants to work in our lives. That's the good seed. But I mentioned the beginning, our hearts are soil that will receive any seed that's put in there. And what we need to know today is there is a bad seed, just like the weeds that can be sown, the seeds of weeds, the seeds of thorns and thistles that can be sown in our heart. In the same way, in in, in in the soil, the same way Satan has seed to sow in our hearts. And they will take root just as easily as the seed of God's Word will take root. In fact, it takes root more easily because we're more used to having it sown in our heart. Satan comes immediately to steal God's seed and to plant his own. Mark chapter 4 again. Verse 7. We looked, at the, we looked at the explanation of the power. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. All right? These were the thorns and the whistles. Thistles. <laughs> they come like the weeds to compete with the good seed for all, all that that soil provides for growth. It competes of the time, it competes of the seed's energy. And the attention. So let's go now to verse 18. And now Jesus applies this. What are the weeds that Satan tries to sow in our heart? Now these are among those that are sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. Verse 19. Three things. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things, enter in what? Entering in our heart. Do what? Choke the Word that's been sown in our heart so that the Word becomes unfruitful. The cares of this world draw our time and our energy of our heart away from God. That's why in Matthew 6, Jesus said, when He talks about, take no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. doesn't mean don't plan it, but don't give your heart over to it. Because he's just talking about what your heart treasures. What is your heart treasure? It's all That section's all about the heart. He says, therefore, don't take a thought. Don't start caring about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, the, the issues of life, the cares of this world. But seek first the kingdom of God. Put your heart first on God and the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. That's one of the reasons I believe why God requires the tithe. Because the tithe makes you put him first in your heart and trust him. That's why God provides for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a tithe of your time. Because to take a day off from work means you're trusting God can provide you in seven days of work, six days of work, what He did in what you would normally do in seven days of work by putting Him first. That's why Chick Fil A, which doesn't make their employ let their employees, they're closed on Sunday to honor God. The average franchise, fast food franchise, brings in a million dollars a year. The average Chick-fil-A brings in five on six days, whereas the others bring on one on seven days. So the cares of this world draw our time, our energy, and our heart away from God. God. The deceitfulness of riches is the temptation to rely on what the world provides to take care of us, especially when we get in trouble. The deceitfulness is we think that if I made more money, if I have a second job to solve my problem, if I do this, if I put more time so I can't come to church, so I've got to do this to provide for my family, that's the deceitfulness of riches. Instead of putting seeking first the kingdom of God and all these things you need, God's Word. God's Word says, you put me first and I'm promising you, my Word says, all these things will be added unto you. If I've got to have angels bring it from the far corners of the world to fulfill my Word, that's my responsibility, not yours. And the lust or desire for other things, that's when we give our hearts over to a desire for other things that are greater than His. God doesn't mind you wanting things. It's when our heart wants them more than we want God and they start pulling our heart's attention. They start giving energy to our heart away from God. Those are the obvious ones. But there's a more subtle seed that God's been opened my eyes to. And this is the one I don't want to talk about. So close your ears and I'll... Cl- no. And what's more subtle about it is these things are not evil in themselves. But they have an effect on our heart that affects, cho- chokes God's Word and stops God's Word from bearing full fruit in our lives. So understand this. You have to remember that the world, the regular world, the world we're used to and call the world, is under the control of Satan. He is the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 which means the the programs and the systems that are in this world are under His sway and control. So the major industries, for instance, the, the, the the world of media, and that includes news media, that includes regardless of what channel you watch, that includes our entertainment industries, that includes everything on social media that's coming through there. Ultimately, at this point, those are in the control and influence of Satan. It doesn't mean God can't work through them and do things. And they are not just casual and benign things. There is a message behind them. There is a spirit behind them trying to do something, and this is what God's begun to open my eyes to. And this is what I'm hoping in the time we have. Oh, Lord, this is so important. The world has many avenues for surround... Satan has many avenues to try to get into our hearts. And one of the major is through media. Social media, news, entertainment, and anything else like that they 're filled with stories and examples of things that are totally against the Word of God, like adultery, murder, uh, the video games, and things like that and and, and we can we can now you know. There are two extremes on this. On one end of the spectrum is the fear well people they'll imitate what they see. And we have things out there like copycat murders people see something and they're going to imitate it because God made us to imitate it. But the people in this room I don't think because you see a program where there's two people committing adultery whether it's shown or whether it's implied are not going to rush out and say well I guess I can commit adultery. If we see somebody murder I guess I can go murder something. We know we're not going to do that and there's the danger. Because I can look at that and say, "Well, I would never do that." We think there's no danger in listening those things and watching those things. I told you, going to hear want to go hear this. For Genesis three one, Satan is more cunning, more cunning, more cunning than any beast of the field. So the weapons he's going to use, the seed he wants to plant, he's going to make it look like something that's benign. Something that has no harm, what's the harm in it? Right. Is the question that our kids often ask us. What's the harm in it? But what do we say to ourselves? First of all, here's the problem everything you see and everything you hear gets retained in your mind. I still remember being at a drive in theater when we were first married, and I, was some, some, something came on an advertisement. And it was something, it wasn't fully pornographic, but it was something I didn't need to see. Every once in a while, that image will flop up in my mind. Yeah. Forty years ago. Yeah. It's everything there. If you've ever had a smell going through a, 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 grocery, a grocery store, well oh, that too, but through, through some department store and you smell a perfume, I've done that, and, and there's a perfume my grandmother used to wear yeah. years ago. I hear, smell that, I can, see, I can feel her presence. Because the memories of that are there. So there's nothing you see, there's nothing you hear that ever just goes in one ear and out the other in spite of what your kids say. <laughs> Secondly, which is why I instructed my kids, I don't care if you see a piece of trash on the floor, on the ground in some parking lot that's pornographic, do not pick it up and throw it away. That's right. And if some of you I know are into it, And you know the pain that it caused by one simple view. Now remember, we're not here to condemn. We're here to understand what Satan's scheme is. The second thing that happens through these avenues, the seed, is that it, it, it erodes our own standards for right or wrong. Not that we might go do that, but we become tolerant. The word is we become desensitized to what's right and wrong now the world's thrown that out but we're the representation of Christ in the earth of God's righteousness God's holiness in the earth and what Satan wants to do is for the church to compromise a few years ago I spent I spent time uh, uh, studying what the churches that Paul created how he operated with them they'd never make it today Paul called out adultery in church. Paul messed with people's business. You know what I mean by that? He got involved in their lives. In fact, there was one guy that, that he, he, he rebuked the church because there was someone sleeping with a stepmother. And he said, you haven't dealt with that. And because you haven't dealt with it, I've got to. And even though I'm not there, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn that person over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul will be saved. In other words, you didn't take care of this. I've got to go to the drastic stretch of removing God's grace from his life so that he can experience what it would be like if he ends up in hell so they wake up and correct the situation. How far do you think that go today? Half the church would go down the road to some other church. Things that God's word Word clearly says is sin, we tolerate around us. And that doesn't mean we're supposed to go to work and judge other people, but it ought to grieve us. And the most subtle danger of all is this. All of these things that are not godly, even though we may never do them, we may say, what's the harm in them? Even though they may be totally innocent, is they compete with our time and our spiritual energy. Because all of media uses your imagination. That's how you get involved in these shows. I've watched some of them, these series. Not many, but was, was it Downton Abbey I got hooked in? You know, it's just a soap opera, but it was, it's a glorified soap opera. And then some daughter suddenly dies unexpectedly and I get upset. I mean, I got upset. I was mad. I'm a little too involved in this. I couldn't believe it. And then you see her on some other show, and they're just an actress. But listen to me. My heart got into that so that it mattered to me what happened in something that's totally fake and artificial? That's right. When God intends for my heart and my ima- you know what? Hope is, hope is a positive imagination. God wants His Word in you to begin to paint pictures of health, of victory, paint pictures of your children coming back to God, paint pictures in your heart, your imagination that we're spending on television, on movies. And I, this is the issue i got to grow in. Because I come home, I'm tired. I want to go boom, 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 boom. Nothing that's bad in and of itself. Now, don't leave here and turn... God, Pastor John, says we can't watch television. No, don't turn this... Especially... I got in trouble for talking about the Super Bowl one year. But point is, it's not a do or don't do thing. It's understanding when I'm doing that, I'm guarding my heart. What am I letting in my heart, and do I want to give my time to that in my heart? I'll tell you a secret. I, by the way, we're, we're not going to be able to do communion today. I just, this is too important to finish. I stopped watching the Patriots when they were in the Super Bowl. Not because I didn't like the team, I liked them too much. Because if they won, I couldn't sleep. I was that upset. And if they lost, I really couldn't sleep. And some of those, I would have probably had a heart attack because of the way they ended up winning. And I'm saying to my John, you're a little too invested in a football game where next year some of these players may be playing somewhere. They don't care anywhere near as much as you do. But it saps my energy, my time, and most of all, it's taking up room in my heart, imaginations in my heart. God wants me. I've got some family that, that is not walking with the Lord right now. I could use it to meditate on God's promises so that would become more and more real in me, and I'm wasting it. And I tell you, I don't want to preach this because now I've got to listen to it. <laughs> but I'm just being honest with you. And again, God's not sitting here condemning you because you've watched watch Galton Abbey along with me or something like that. God, it's not, that's not the issue. The issue is recognizing it's my heart. God's put this heart in me and God wants to sow in me things in my heart that He can use to produce fruit in my life and f- f- faith coming out of my mouth. Years ago while we were first year students at Bible school, faith school, I had a disease that was recurring, it was, a, it was a condition where my body would break out in giant hives and I couldn't tell what happened and it, it was debilitating what had happened and they gave me pills but the pills would knock me out and I was standing in faith and I was doing this and I'm in Bible school, a school of faith and I'm still suffering with these things until one day I had it. And I said, I've got to do whatever it takes for this to go. I already knew what it was. I just didn't want to put that much of a commitment into it because I still wanted to be able to do other things I wanted to do. So I was committing maybe 60% of my time to putting the word in. But the other 40, I would do what I wanted to do. And it wasn't working. So I decided to just, all right, I'm going to put 100% of my time into this. So every moment that I don't have to be thinking about something else, I'm going to meditate on one scripture. It was Romans 8.32. Not even a healing scripture. And I, for one week, every moment, and the next time, within a week, one of those symptoms came back. Now, I've been dealing with this for years. And I opened my mouth to speak to that, and a power came out of my mouth that I had never felt before. I felt an authority come out, and a power come out, and that thing instantly stopped and never came back. That potential had been there 10 years earlier. But I played around with it. Until I got so fed up, I decided to simply do what the word says "God's so patient." Yes. Simply do what the word says to do. But it can make your, mean your life. There's an amazing story in the Book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 talks the background where you had uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came in and, and took, uh, in a series of, 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 of times, took the, the, the Jews captive. And he started with the, he picked the elite, the young men that were the elite. He picked the best of the young men. And he took them to Babylon and he put them into a special group under, the, under a eunuch to train them so that he could serve him. He took the smartest and the wisest. And, and, and he told the eunuch to feed them with the choicest food that the king ate. And nobody else got to eat that food. But Daniel and the three Hebrew children said, we can't do that because it's not kosher. We have to follow God's dietary laws. We have to, we have to do what God said to do. And so Daniel goes to the eunuch and said, Well, eunuchs, you know I'm going to get in trouble if I don't feed you what he says, and you end up, you know, snarly looking and ragged, you know with pimples all over your face, and you look terrible at the end of this time. Daniel said, give us this. Give us, what was it, 10 days or whatever it was. He said, let's try this out. You give us only these foods, and you can feed anybody else. At the end of 10 days, you examine us and see. At the end of 10 days, they were smarter and sharper and stronger than the rest of the group. So he let them keep under God's dietary laws. So what they decided to do at the very beginning of their challenge is they controlled what they ate, what their appetite was developed for. They controlled what they listened to. Chapter 3, what happens is, Nebuchadnezzar the king, with some help from some others, decides to give a test to the, the nation that he, that he rules. And he had a, a 90-foot statue of himself raised, a gold statue. <clears throat> and the instructions were, when you hear the musical sound, you're to bow, bow down to that idol. Now listen to that. When you hear... A sound, you're to bow to that idol. They were being conditioned to respond to a sound. The three Hebrew children had consecrated themselves to only listen to what God gave them to hear and only eat what God gave them to eat. In other words, to put into their stomach, to put into the appetite of their tongue only what God prescribed. The test came when the music was played and the report came to the king that the three Hebrew children did not respond to the music. They did not bow to the idol. And the king calls them in. And the king, these are men that work for him. These are, he he knows who they are. He gives them several chances and they say, I don't care what you do, we're not going to bow. And they said, the God that we serve is well able to deliver us from that fiery furnace because they are going to throw him in a furnace. And even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow to you. But they've been practicing this every day. And so the king gets madder and he has them thrown in the furnace. The guys that throw them in, they die because it heats it up seven times hotter. And the king looks in the furnace wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. how many men did we throw in there? They said three. Well, I see three men and he threw them in bound with flax, and they're walking around free, and there's a fourth man in there, and he has the appearance of the Son of God. Why? Because it was the Son of God. They didn't bow under pressure. That wasn't because they just woke up that day and decided, you know what, we're going to be strong today. They had been controlling what they put in them the seeds that were sown in them through their appetite, through what they listened to and what they were focused on so that when the test came and it will come, they did not bow nor did they burn but the Son of God showed up to keep with them. Guard your heart with all diligence. We'll end with this verse. Go back to Proverbs 4, verse 20. This is why God says this. My son, attend to my words. What are we giving our attention to? Again, I'm not saying you can't watch the Super Bowl, you can't do this. You, You've The Spirit of God, you've got to listen to Him. Show you what to do and what not to do. When I got saved, nobody told me to stop. I smoked a pipe, I didn't smoke cigarettes. Nobody told me to stop drinking. I did drink. Nobody told me to stop drinking. Somewhere along the line, a conviction began to form me. You know what? For who you are now, this is just not the right thing to do, especially for your children. So nobody told me, don't do this. Now there's some clear things the Bible says don't do. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear. That means lean into, listen to my sayings. My sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. So when we're looking at everything else, we're letting them depart from before our eyes. Again, that doesn't mean you walk around with your Bible in front of you. But you can talk to yourself. I do it all the time. You do it all the time. But what are you saying to yourself? This terrible job I got, it'll never change. You talk to yourself about the situations of your life, whether you speak words or not. Your mind's talking to yourself. It's called self-talk. What if you talk God's word to yourself? Keep them in the midst, in the middle, in the core, at the center of your heart. Why? Verse 22. For they are life to those who find them. Not just biological life, God's life in you. I see someone like Todd White. We saw the video a few weeks ago. He gets up in the morning excited with Jesus right there with him. And it's not his personality. It's not what he was like before. Because he's so conscious of Jesus in him and with him. Why? Because he spends time meditating and talking to Jesus throughout the day. And that seed that's in him is no different than the seed God sown into you. But there are other things sown into us that he doesn't sow. And what happens is the more we begin to sow God's seed, the more we begin to experience this life, what happens is the other stuff of this world just doesn't quite have the appetite that it used to have. It's it's just like eating cardboard. The things that used to be so delicious to you of the programs you watched and it's not just TV of the things that we let into our heart of this world just became so wonderful and now you begin to experience the life of God. There is nothing more alive. There's nothing more satisfying. There's nothing more fulfilling than God Himself who's dwelling in you this morning by the Holy Spirit. But we sit there going, yeah, that's nice because we're not experiencing the fullness of that. Paul prayed for the church that Christ might dwell in your heart. He had to pray first that you be strengthened with might, the help of the Holy Spirit, in your inner man so Christ can dwell in your heart. That being rooted and grounded in love you may come to know together with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. We want to know more of the love of Christ but that doesn't come out here. It comes from in here because He's dwelling in your heart but so many other things are dwelling in there that are literally saying the opposite. They're counterbalancing His love. So that We may be filled up with all the fullness. That word implies satisfaction. That word implies power. That word implies love. All of the fullness of God dwelling in me you get the fullness of God released in you and you can't contain it nobody has to tell you to go out and pray nobody has to tell you to go out and witness that's what happened on the day of Pentecost they got filled with God and they couldn't contain it in the place where they were guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow all the issues of life God said to Israel I lay before you today life and death it's your choice but I'm telling you the answer choose life I'm glad I preached this God's at work in you to help you do it. You can't do this in your strength because whether you got no problem with television but something else, there's something else out there that's getting sown in your heart. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's, maybe it's strife. I, I, just, I, don't, I have trouble staying mad at people. I don't have that good a memory. I just don't remember. I shouldn't say that. I have a great memory, but I just don't have trouble. I don't hold on to grudges and things like people. I'm very quick to forgive because I know how critical that is. But some of you, that's a a challenge. And the good news is God knows that. Grace is that God is at work in you. In you. Both to will, to change your mind, and to do His good pleasure. So the freedom is to trust Him to do the work that He wants to do in you. And just watch what God's able to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank You today for your goodness, your faithfulness. We thank you most of all for your grace. Your word says it is so true. If you were to regard iniquity in our lives, no one could stand before you. All of us fall short. And I believe that people that are here this morning are here because we want to follow you. We want to serve you. We want to allow you To be our hearts to be filled with you, but we've lacked confidence. In many cases, we've not really understood what was going on. I pray today, Father, that no one leaves here condemned, no one leaves here discouraged. Oh, I I knew I couldn't make it. No, the good news is you are working us to enable us. We can't do it ourselves. And Father, there's some of us that we have to come to the end of our own trying. And finally come to the end and realize I've tried all these years and I haven't been able to change much. I give you permission to work in me what only you can work. And so we pray today, Father, as a congregation, you know where each one of us this morning is in our hearts. You know what we've allowed in our hearts. You know the things that Satan's put in our hearts. We don't even know we allowed. We ask you for a crop failure. We ask you, Father to open the eyes of our understanding to begin to see the devices of Satan to try to sow into our lives and the ways we cooperate with him. And in those areas where it's hard to change we ask you to strengthen us by your spirit. Your word says if by your spirit we overcome the flesh we will have victory. And so Holy Spirit we ask you to come in today strengthen us to overcome those areas we need to overcome, that you get all the glory and that we experience it, the fullness of his grace, his love, and his freedom. For that we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're going to close the service in just a moment. but Before we do, I want to give an opportunity, anybody that's here this morning, that have never...